0: So when it comes to politics and political discourse in our country right now, I don't, I don't need to say this, you know this, things are so nasty. And, and, and sadly, I, I don't think it's going to get any better. Uh, I don't think it's going to get any better anytime soon, anyway. Uh, and in this series, this short series, just last week and this week, my goal is this, it's not to articulate for you how a Christian should vote, or how they should, should view particular political issues. I, I, that's not the point of this, and I would never do that as your pastor. Here's what it is. It's about helping you and I understand what it means to be a Christian citizen, and how to navigate this really negative environment we find ourselves in, what it means to honor Christ and love our neighbor as we live out the call, the vocation of Christian citizens. It's been said that, that things are so negative right now that as citizens, it feels as though we are the children of perpetually divorcing parents. Two sides that are constantly fighting, pulling us apart, trying to tell us that, that the other side is not as good as they are, promising us the world, but both sides ultimately perpetually letting us down. And my role as your pastor, among many other things, is to help you and myself figure out what it means to follow Jesus in the middle of all that. Our roadmap for this conversation are two phrases that are found in the, in the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, one phrase is, one nation under God. We talked about that last week. And then with liberty and justice for all. Last week, we talked about how for a person of, of Jesus Christ— we understand the idea of being in one nation and under God in a different way than, say, a typical citizen would. That if you're here as a follower of Jesus, we understand that we are part of of a holy nation that's bigger than this one particular country, and that we are ultimately under the reign and rule of Jesus. And that those two truths, they add peace and purpose to our life as Christian citizens. And today, we're going to look at that second phrase, with liberty and justice for all. Specifically, we're going to look at how people of faith are called to leverage their liberty to love other people. We are to leverage whatever liberty we're given to love other people. And there's one way in particular in which we do that, by speaking up, by using our voice. And that's what I'm going to dive into now how a Christian can leverage their liberty to love other people by using their voice and their freedom of expression in a very particular way. That's for this morning. um, uh, Society, you could say, is composed kind of like an atom, A-T-O-M. Society is kind of composed like an atom. That's an imperfect analogy, but, but go with me on this. If you remember back to seventh grade science, Uh, There are certain particles and charges inside of an atom. There are positives, there are negatives, and then there are neutrals. Positives, negatives, and neutrals. And society is full of positive charges. People who are trying their best to work for the good of all. Society is also filled with negative charges those who are pretty nasty, and we might disagree on who those nasty elements are, but we all agree that they exist, people who are not working in the best interest of our lives as citizens and, as, and, 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 and our best interest of, of our country. And then there are a whole bunch of people who you could say are just neutrals. They, they don't speak up much, they kind of keep to themselves, they tend to go with whatever group or tribe happens to be the loudest at any particular moment. And that's true of neutral charges. They don't carry a charge, they take on the charge of whoever is next to them. And so in a society, which role do you think Christians are called to play? We're called to be the positive charges, so to speak. We're called to be the ones who, insofar as it depends on us, we are working and living and laboring for the good of all and seeking to influence as many neutrals as possible so that there are more of us working for the good of all around us. That's our calling. Now, because we are people of faith, we have a particular understanding of what it means to be a force for good in this world. For a person of faith, what it means to be a force for good in this world means that we are trying to remind people of God's presence, and we're trying to be a representative of Him in this world, as we talked about last week. Uh, There is a a biblical way to talk about this. You you could say that, that God's people have a prophetic role in society. We have a prophetic role in society. We are here to represent God's presence, to speak his words and to do his work. And we believe that as we speak his words and we do his work and we remind the world of his presence, that we are doing good in this world. Now, I understand that for some of us, when I say that Christians are called to be a prophetic voice in culture, that you instantly think of all the ways in which that could be misapplied or abused or it could go wrong. And I get you. I want you to set that aside and just continue on this journey with me for a while. So so here's where we are so far. Christians are called to leverage their liberty to love other people by using their voice. And Christians have a prophetic voice in culture, reminding people of God's presence. Now, here's why this is important. Um, Think about the first ten amendments to the Constitution. First ten amendments to the Constitution are called the Bill of Rights. And these, these Bill of Rights, they, they guarantee us as American citizens certain things. So we're guaranteed freedom of expression, freedom of assembly, uh, freedom of, of, of worship, freedom of speech, the right to bear arms, the right to a trial of, of, of our peers uh, on a jury, among many other things. We have certain guaranteed liberties that are upheld by certain responsibilities or laws. We have liberties guaranteed to us that are upheld by certain responsibilities, Now, when the framers of the Constitution put this together, it was truly unique in human history. Guaranteed liberties baked into the system that every single citizen gets. But here's another thing the founders knew, that there was an inherent flaw in this beautiful system. There was a flaw in this system that this system of guaranteed rights upheld by some responsibilities only works when the people of that society have a collective sense of accountability to something higher than themselves. John Adams, one of the, the founders of our nation, not Sam Adams, the famous brewer, although respect to him. John Adams made note of this. John Adams once wrote this. He said, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Now, he's not saying that everyone in this country should be a Christian. He's not saying that everyone in this country should be a believer. He's saying that the idea of guaranteed liberties, things that you inherently get to enjoy as a citizen, upheld by certain responsibilities or laws, is built on a collective sense of ultimate accountability. And if that collective sense of ultimate accountability goes away, this whole experiment starts to fall apart. This is why in the preamble to the Constitution, you see phrases like, we hold these truths to be self-evident, self-evident. Certain certain rights are endowed by our creator. They're hinting at this thing, this idea that there's something above us all that we're accountable to. Here's the point that they're making. Without the collective sense of accountability our liberty becomes self-indulgent and our laws become excessive. When we lose sight of our collective accountability to God, something greater than us, our liberties become purely self-indulgent and our laws then have to become excessive. So so we end up taking our liberties and rather than seeing them as a gift to be stewarded and managed according to a certain standard, we use them purely for our own self-interest. We use our liberties only for our own self-interest. And when everyone's looking out for themselves with their freedoms, guess what you need more of? You need more laws to govern how people utilize their freedoms. And you need law after law after law after law until eventually you have so much law that it is restraining the freedom that everybody's trying to protect and indulge. That's what happens and how it all starts to fall apart. The founders knew this, And they said the only way you avoid such a failure is if the people willingly restrain themselves out of a sense of ultimate accountability to something higher, which was easier to do in colonial America where there was a shared worldview about about a deity above us that held us accountable, a shared sense of morality. It's much more difficult for us to live out in a pluralistic society where many of us have lost sight of anything over us that we're accountable to. So what does this mean for a Christian citizen whose role is to use their voice prophetically? What this means is that you are to use your voice in such a way that you remind yourselves and your neighbors that we are not alone, that we are accountable to something higher than us, that we are not simply to use our freedoms to indulge ourselves and enjoy ourselves, but they are gifts that are to be stewarded and utilized in a certain way and for certain reasons, lest... Less our liberty become excessive and our laws become excessive as well. So the first role of a Christian citizen as a prophet in this society is to remind ourselves and our neighbors of our ultimate divine accountability. There's someone we have to answer to. Let's use our liberty wisely. That's the first thing. Now that's just one side of the coin. There's another side that we have to talk about. Um, my wife and I have been married for almost 18 years. Uh, we got married in 2002. Uh, for, for those who are, are younger in the room, that was back when, when telephones had cords, cameras had film, and computers had monitors that were the size of like a Buick. And in almost 18 years of marriage, there, there's a lot that we've learned about how human beings, in particular these two human beings, Matt and Lisa, work. We haven't learned, a, we haven't learned everything, but we learned some things. And the thing I'm about to share with you sounds profound, but it really is simple. One of the things that Lisa and I have found to be true about human beings is that the flourishing of another person cannot be commanded, it can only be inspired. The flourishing of another person, in particular your spouse, you want them to become the best possible version of themselves. I want my wife to be the the most loving, the kindest, the most forgiving, most beautiful version of herself she can possibly be for herself and for others and for me. But I cannot command that of her. I can only inspire that in her. I mean, you can try to command it in your spouse and say, hey, you need to be more loving, you need to be more kind, you need to be more forgiving, and you need to look your best too. Oh, see how that goes. See how that goes for you. You can try it, but they'll ignore you because you're a jerk if you do it. No, the the best way to, to encourage the flourishing of my spouse, the best way to encourage her being the best version of herself is for me to offer her the best version of myself. I offer her the best version of myself, and then that inspires in her a desire and a drive to offer me the best version of herself. That's how human flourishing is encouraged. Now, here's where I'm going with this. In the same way, in the same way, no law passed by any country will bring out the best in that country. No law or command from a country will bring out the best, the flourishing in that country. Laws simply show us, laws simply show us what behavior to avoid. They don't tell us what we can become. Laws show us what behavior we can avoid. They don't tell us who we can become. Besides, there's something inside of human beings that whenever we hear a command or we see a law, we instantly look for a loophole. Think about uh, when you're driving and you see, a, you see the speed limit is 35 miles an hour. That has never inspired anything beautiful in you. You've never looked at 35 miles an hour and said, you know what, that's, that's the best of the miles per hour. I love 35 miles per hour. I think I'll go 35 for the rest of my life. No, here's what happens. You see 35, you instantly look for a loophole. You say, it's 35 miles per hour. I can probably get away with 38, set my cruise. That's what you do. That's what we do with commands. That's what we do with laws. Every society must be reminded of its ultimate accountability, but every society must also be inspired to virtue. It can't be commanded to virtue. It has to be inspired to virtue. So guess, Christian citizen, what our job is. Our job is to remind our neighbors that we're ultimately accountable to something greater, so we use our liberty wisely. But we're also there to help inspire our neighbors and our society to a higher level of living, to a higher calling, to higher virtue. We can't look at our neighbors and say, you should be better. We must give our neighbors our best self and inspire something better in them, in others, and in our nation as a whole. We inspire. Look at the words of Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament. He's talking about the role of God's people in the ancient world, and this was their role in the ancient world. Isaiah says, "'Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant "'to raise up the tribes of Jacob "'and to bring back the preserved of Israel?' Here's the key. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Now, now certainly, Isaiah was talking about God's mission for his people to live as the messengers of his mercy, but he's also talking about how God's people were to carry themselves in such a way that the rest of the world was to see what's possible, to see who they could become when walking in step with the will of God. Now, I get that up to this point, this this message is like pretty philosophical. Here's where we've been so far. Um, We are to use our liberties to love other people. We are to use our freedom of expression and use our voice to speak prophetically. Prophetically meaning we remind people that there's a God above us to whom we're accountable. And we inspire other people to a higher level of living. All of which causes us to ask the question, yeah, but how is that lived out? How is that lived out? The best way that it's lived out is this. It's not by you posting anything on Facebook. It's not by you getting into an argument about politics or what the right way to live is over the Thanksgiving table with your cousin or your nephew. The best way is not even in how you vote, although voting is extremely important as a citizen. It comes down to what I talked about last week. The best way for you to hold the world accountable to something higher and to inspire some greater living in the lives of your neighbors Is ultimately in how you choose to live your own life each and every day. When you, as a follower of Jesus, when you, when you leverage, when you leverage your rights in order to love other people uncompelled by any law to do so, that's when you make the greatest impact in this world. When you leverage your liberty uncompelled by any law to love other people, that's when you make the greatest impact. In a world where everyone is looking for loopholes in the law, and in a world where we are seeking not justice for others, but we are seeking to justify anything we want, someone who willingly sets aside their liberties to serve and love somebody else becomes a revolutionary. And it makes the world stop and say, what? Why in the world would you do that? Look at all the things you get to do. Why would you set all the stuff you get to do aside in order to do something that no one else would do for them? Why would you do that? That is a revolutionary act in our day and age. And that is how you remind people that there's someone greater above us and there's a higher level of living that can be achieved by us. That's how you live prophetically. This is what the Apostle Paul is getting at in what was today's reading, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is Paul's pastoral philosophy. Listen to what he says. He says, although I'm free from all people, meaning I don't owe anybody anything, I have made myself a slave for all people to win more of them. I've become everything to everyone in order to save at least some of them. I do all of this for the sake of the good news in order to share what it offers. Paul is saying, I leverage my freedom to do whatever the most loving thing possible is. And in most cases, for Paul, as a pastor, it was sharing the good news of Jesus. But that attitude is the one that you are to have as a citizen, and I am to have as a citizen, leveraging whatever rights I have in any given situation to ask a different question than all of my neighbors are asking. Not asking the question, what can I get away with? But asking this question, what does love require? And I will set aside my rights, if I have to, to do what love requires in a world like ours, friends, that is a revolutionary act. So if you own your own business, if you're a boss of other people, you you have the right to be a jerk. You have a right to be the kind of boss who's kind of seen as a slave driver, kind of hard to work for, but hey, you get the job done, the bottom line is good. You have the right to be a a jerk of a boss. You have that right in our country. But if instead you choose to, to love the people that serve with you the way you have been loved, and the way in which you want to be loved, you are living prophetically. In our country, you have a right to to sleep with whoever you want. You have that right. But, But if you choose to live according to a higher sexual ethic and to live out your sexuality in such a way that that it brings honor to God and it embraces certain virtues like commitment, And, and you treat other human beings with the dignity and respect that you would want your sister or your son treated with, you are living prophetically. You have a right to make as much money as you want and to figure out all the tax loopholes and all the tax benefits and use all of them to your advantage. You have the right to be as rich as you possibly can. But if you choose in your wealth to be unbelievably generous so that other people around you have the opportunity that you have and that this world is tangibly disrupted by your extreme generosity, you are living prophetically. That's what it means. We're called to speak humbly and boldly, at times to be activists, but at all times, at all times to leverage our liberties for love and that is the greatest change that we can bring about. Imagine a day when, when all of God's people got together and they said, you know what? The best thing we could do is put down whatever it is we're protesting. Um, we could put down our picket signs for whatever it is we're protesting. We could set our phones to the side, whatever post on Instagram we're commenting on. We could put all those things aside and instead we could say, you know what? I'm going to leverage all of my freedoms to love somebody else today. If there was a day where we all decided to do that, on that day there'd be more change in this world than this world has ever seen. More good would be done than has ever been done by any politician or any pundit on television. And that's what we're called to do. But the question is why would you do that? Because we're talking about things you don't have to do. You have the right in this country. To not be faithful to the will and the ways and the desires of God. Which is for you to leverage your life for love. So why would you do it? Here's why. The reason you would do this is because this has been done for you. The reason you would live like this is, is not simply because it's been asked of you by God, even though he does ask this of you. The reason you would do this is because this has been inspired in you and given to you. You know, just as Paul said, I set everything aside to give people what they need. You have a Savior in Jesus Christ who has, who has set everything aside so that he might come into this world and put himself underneath all of the things that you're enslaved to. And he labored under each of your pains and each of your difficulties. He put himself underneath those things. He succumbed to them in death and he broke free from them on Easter morning. And now he says to you, you're free from them too. You are free for them. But the question is free for what? For what reason? To what end? For what purpose? And the reason is this, to love and to serve and to give. That's the reason. The reason you do this is not because you have to, because this is who you are. This is what you've been set free for. What else can you do? This is what you've been given. The people of God take whatever liberties they have and they leverage them to make sure their neighbor is loved and they live in a world of justice. What could that look like for you tomorrow at work, today, on the road, later this afternoon at home with the kids, set aside your rights and you pick up the responsibility of love. What would that look like for you? What would it look like for you to be a revolutionary in your home, in your workplace, in this church, in this community by setting aside your liberties and leveraging them for love? What good could you do? Those are the questions. That Christian citizens ask. And when we do that, we remind people of the presence of God above us, and we lift our eyes to something greater than simply living for ourselves. We're prophetic. Let me close with an example of this Jamil McGee was convicted of drug possession and, and, and selling drugs in 2005, and he was sentenced to 10 years in prison. All the while, he maintained his innocence. He said, I didn't do it. I was totally framed. The story was made up. He said what a lot of people say when they go to prison. But it turns out that he was telling the truth because a police officer named Andrew Collins eventually admitted that he framed Jamil McGee, and he framed about 50 other people who eventually went to prison. He planted the evidence. He made up a lie, and he sent innocent men to jail, one after the other, after the other, after the other. Andrew Collins ended up spending a year and a half in prison for framing 50 people. Year and a half. Meanwhile, by the time that Jamil McGee was let out of prison for a crime he didn't commit, he'd been in prison for four years. Fast forward to 2015, Jamil McGee and Andrew Collins happened to find themselves both trying to rebuild their lives after prison, working at the same cafe. And Jamil McGee walks up to Andrew Collins and he confronts him. You're the man who sent me to prison. You're the man who planted evidence. You're the man who lied and sent me to prison and stole four years of my life. And Andrew Collins, the convicted police officer, he looked at Jamil McGee and he said, I'm sorry. And Jamil McGee looked at him and he said, I forgive you. And the way Collins tells the story, is that the moment he heard those words, I forgive you, like a mountain of guilt and shame went off of his shoulders and he just began to weep. And, and, and Collins said this, he said, Jamil McGee didn't have to say that to me. He didn't have to forgive me. He had every right to hold that against me, and yet he chose not to. Jameel McGee is a follower of Jesus, and when asked why he was willing to forgive Andrew Collins, here's what he said. He said, I am accountable to someone greater, and I aim for something higher and so I forgive. Christian, what is your job? Your job is to leverage your liberty for love and to let your life speak and to remind the world that there's someone greater and we can aim higher. That's what you're called to do. Jameel McGee and Andrew Collins, they are now, believe it or not, the best of friends. And they, they tour the country telling their story. Their life speaks volumes. For me, that's a beautiful picture of what it means to be a real Christian citizen. To set aside your freedom to forgive the man who robbed you of your freedom. To set aside your freedom to be angry and to exact retribution. To forgive the man who robbed you of four years of freedom of your life. That's a life that speaks. As we head into a political season, one year away from another election, let your life speak as well. Be prophetic. Leverage your liberty for love. Remind the people around you that there's someone above us and something higher can be aimed for by all of us. Let's pray.